0: hello my name is leora schlosko and just right now at the beginning of our very first episode i would like to formally welcome you to bookends podcast where i will be your host this is a book review podcast kind of like a talk show where i'm going to talk about books tv shows ted talks movies social media and other texts the list goes on really Um, and we're also going to have some really exciting guests today is May 31st, 2020. Today's texts are Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, Albert Camus's The Stranger, and Kamel Daoud's The Merceau Investigation. The title of today's episode is Thugs, Strangers, and Cops. Welcome to Bookends. that was fun (laughs) so i'm starting the podcast series with this specific theme and with this episode um because today is may 31st 2020 and i mean i have no idea when this podcast is going to be able to come out but as it seems right now there are a lot of protests happening left and right in america and finally many more people than before have continued and have stood up for the rights of black people in our community to end police brutality, to end covert, as well as explicit and implicit acts of racism. So the first book that we're going to talk about today is Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. Um, And just for a little background on the book, it was originally published in 2017, and it's a New York Times bestseller. It's a William C. Morris award winner. Um, It's a Coretta Scott King honor book. That's just to name a few. Um, There's also a movie that was made from the book. It's available on a few streaming services So if you don't want to read the book or if you have read the book and you're interested in watching the movie You should definitely check that out This book I think is definitely targeted towards a younger audience and I would keep that in mind if you read it That being said if you are you know at a higher reading level or if you're older and you're interested in reading the book I would totally encourage you to do it There is absolutely no shame whatsoever in reading books of varying levels of varying intensities, as you can see probably from our selection today, there is a really kind of diverse group of books in terms of accessibility reading wise. And in terms of selecting books and thinking about what you want to read, I really wouldn't feel discouraged if you want to read a book that's at a higher reading level. In fact, I would probably encourage that you read it. Um, The main important thing about when you're reading a book is that if there's something that you don't understand of course you should go look at it you should try to figure out why you don't understand it you should try to learn it and that's where you grow as a reader it's where you can think more as a person and it's really exciting and so the scope that we're taking when looking at this book really revolves around private schools black poc culture police brutality especially as they as they relate to erasure seen through education um, k-12 through and also in college and university For me, the exciting thing about reading this book is that it's from the perspective of a black girl who attends a predominantly white institution, a PWI, which, by the way, is a space that intentionally erases black women and other people of color in ways that I think are both overt and also ways that are um, implicit, and not seen. And here with me to discuss the themes that were brought up in this book, especially themes that revolved around PWIs and private schools and that experience. Um, I have my guest for today, my good friend from school, Ari. This is Ariana of Florida. Um, We go to college together. Um, we took classes together. She's a wonderful person. I personally describe her as a person I friend schemed for like two months and, in my opinion, quite successfully. Um, so, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome to Bookends, as it's being called. Thank you for having me and for friend scheming me. <laughs> it is my. Greatest pleasure to have friends schemed you and to have you here <laughs> as a guest on this show. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. When we originally talked about having you on the podcast, I asked you if you were interested in doing like specific episodes. We've talked a lot, a little bit about of our, our experience at um, at private schools as like two women of color. I mean, you're a black woman of color and I'm like half Asian. I'm mixed. Um, so obviously there are lots of differences in our experiences, but I don't know at least from my from what i've heard like a lot of what you said resonates with me i think what kind of ended up happening just by chance which was really cool is that at your yeah. high school things were happening and at my high school <laughs> things are happening i mean we're both in college now for context <laughs> but conversations have been happening lots of thoughts mm-hmm. are coming up lots of emotions are coming up on the topic of race and private schools So can you give background on the conversations that have been happening recently at your school? You don't have to do the nitty gritty of anything whatsoever, but just like, I don't know, like what's happening on your end? How are you feel? You just told me that you came back from having another conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll get into that. But um, basically, I live in South Florida and I went to a high school um, that was in a very... Affluent area, I guess Mm -hmm. you would say And most of the population Was white and very wealthy Um, I don't know the exact Demographic statistics, but I know Currently right now It's about 5% uh, Black, Mm -hmm. I think Which is very low, Um, and that was one of the main Issues we talked about Um, But ever since The world has been in this state over the past few weeks and people really stepping up and talking about george floyd and police brutality and racism yeah dismantling the system um the school did not put out a response so a lot of alumni i think over a hundred of us signed uh this email that we collectively wrote calling the head of the school Mm -hmm. to make a statement and asking why they Mm -hmm. aren't talking about it um and they did after we sent the email Um, And then since then, they've organized some community conversations with alumni and some faculty. Yeah. Um, So I've been going to those over the past week.
0: And so with those conversations, are current students participating in them and also what type of alumni are participating? Because like when you say there are 100 alumni who are involved in this first Mm -hmm. email, was that all, are those the 100 Black students that graduated from your high school in the past, I don't know, five, 10 years? What does that look like?
1: Um, Well, basically, I would say in the one talk that I went to on Thursday, there were around 40 participants. And this was just an alumni meeting. And I know they have had meetings with current students, but I'm not sure what Mm, the demographics, how many people showed up to those are because I was not there. But basically, with the group of people in the meeting that I went to, it was strange because it wasn't really a community conversation. Mm -hmm. They separated us into groups that were white, black, and then non-black people of color.
0: Interesting. Maybe I'm coming to conclusions here, but that sounds very similar to the type of thing that doesn't really do anything because if you are in a school that has very low, well, that Mm -hmm. just doesn't have a lot of inclusivity and diversity around having like a white affinity group, like the whole school's a white affinity group. Mm -hmm. What's going to be different about the conversation you're having? Clearly it was a lot of like people of color, Mm -hmm. black people of color who were like putting together that email and talking to the administration about it. So it's like, what is putting you guys together doing besides the fact that you were already together and like talking about this stuff?
1: Yeah, that That was a topic a lot of, um, and I spoke to someone after that whole meeting, just on a separate occasion. And we were wondering, like, oh, like, why do we need to be separated for this? Especially for the reason that, like, I don't know about you, but most people understand that having these difficult conversations really, in order for them to be, like, productive, you need to hear Mm -hmm. From different people from different backgrounds you aren't really accomplishing anything not not accomplishing anything there's a difference between yeah hey let's talk about what we've been dealing with like there there is an important space for affinity spaces yes mm-hmm. but when we're trying to tackle a problem that is not the best like environment, I think, to be able to work with people who are contributing to the harmful culture of wherever you are, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm articulating that well.
0: No, yeah, that's totally fair. Um, Yeah, I really get what you're saying. And also, I think something that I would add to it is that a lot of the time we, like, sexualize affinity spaces as these spaces that have to be segregated by color, by race or by ethnicity or by religion or by, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. An affinity space at its core, can be anything. Sometimes saying, "Okay, here we are in a circle of people. We are an affinity group, even if I'm Asian mm-hmm. and you're Black, or the kid next to us is white, and someone over there is trans, and another, you know, going back and forth." Like an affinity space is defined by the fact that people are brought together into a smaller group, um, and I think, as you said, like there's definitely. Mm-hmm something to take from a group of people who come from different backgrounds but who nonetheless try to listen and talk to each other Mm -hmm. which
1: doesn't Mm -hmm. happen a lot no it does not (laughs) and another like instant reaction of mine was that we were split into affinity groups for this conversation because it was an uncomfortable conversation everyone's uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Like we need to talk about it. It doesn't matter who's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like we need to talk about it. The whole thing with affinity spaces, for example, while I was at that school, I, um, with one of my faculty members, we wanted to create a black student union and we were allowed to do it, but not under the name black student union. It had to be called race. Um, yeah. And it was a great club. Um, but it wasn't really allowed to be an affinity yeah. space. We did talk about... Uh, it, it was... I don't know. It just... It wasn't what we wanted it to be. But there were other affinity groups. Like, I'm pretty sure there was, like, a Jewish student union. And I just don't understand how you can allow some affinity yeah. groups, but not others. It's either all or none. <laughs> um. So for clarification, so it, you wanted it to be
0: a Black student union where, like, Black students could have this I don't know an org where you guys Mm -hmm. have programming or support or you know maybe you just talk you know xyz um but -hmm. then also they so they said no you can't have a black student union it has to be what was it a race a race alliance and so was that for like all all poc Um, and like not mm -hmm. necessarily just a black affinity space the way that you hoped the black student union would be
1: Yeah, it was welcome to everyone. And I think it was a very important group to have. But I didn't Mm -hmm. understand why we weren't allowed to have a Black student union. I, for example, was not really in the process. I was in the process of like creating the club, but also the administrator I worked with, a faculty member, was more in charge of figuring out what we were allowed to do and the name and everything. So I I wasn't involved in those specific conversations. So I don't know if... higher administrators said like, you can't do this, but I know we weren't allowed to in the end. So I can't really speak for what the conversations were, but we weren't allowed to call it that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that really reminds me of something that we actually had at my school. Also, we had this program called Bridge to Bridge. And I remember um, white students would be really mad about the way Bridge to Bridge just existed. And I think they were really jealous in some terms, because essentially what happened in Bridge to Bridge was you got a mentor that was in the upper school. So like, you know, if you were a middle schooler, you had a mentor who was a high schooler and it was really cool. You could spend time with them and we'd have meetings and you would get pizza. You know, they'd give you a slice of pizza because you would miss lunch for these meetings. Um, And people just got really mad about what we had. And I know this is different because, you know, in your org, you weren't even allowed to have that. But it really makes me think of this because my white peers would be really mad about what would happen at Bridge to Bridge and that we even had Bridge to Bridge, but they never really thought to realize that we needed these things because of how we were treated. And they never questioned why we had a space like that. Um, And they didn't even listen or believe Mm -hmm. us if we told them that Mm -hmm. it was because it was needed because of how we were Mm -hmm. treated or because of what we experienced. And I don't think that a slice of pizza mm-hmm. can fix racism, right? Pizza mm-hmm. doesn't fix racism. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but when you're a kid, it can make your day brighter. And when, when you have someone to talk to mm-hmm. who's older than you, who's going through it too, it can make your day better. When you see that there are so many mm-hmm. other students of color that are going through something similar to you, it makes it better. And so the whole battle with mm-hmm. other students about whether or not this this entity should exist was just completely BS.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Like I loved what the club became and it was great. Like we had conversations, mm-hmm. we met every week uh, once and we had all different types of people show up. It was great. But I think the main issue yeah. is that we weren't really permitted to have like a black student union. Um, I think yeah. for both organizations would have been great. I just, I don't know. The whole idea mm-hmm. of having affinity spaces, sometimes, but not all the time, allowing some, but not all, it just isn't, that is not fair. Like,
0: <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. I really wonder what the thought process is behind that because, I mean, especially given how, earlier you said it was, you thought it was 5%, how it was such a small demographic of students that, um, Was it black or just POC Mm -hmm. in general?
1: Yeah, it was around five. And I heard this from someone I was speaking to, another alumni that looked it Mm -hmm. up. Um, And I think it was just 5% black. The school looked at students as like numbers. And we spoke about how demographics Mm -hmm. had changed over time. And they were like, oh, yeah, our diversity dropped a bit. But then we got it back to normal a few weeks late, a few years later. A few but, weeks later. Yeah, a few weeks later. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> yeah. But problem the is- solved. Yeah. The issue is. We cured racism. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> the issue there is that if, the- if your goal is to get back to normal and that normal percentage of students of color or black students is so low if that's what you're striving for that's where the problem is.
0: No, yeah, for 5% sure. 5%
1: is not something you should be striving for. I don't know if it's exactly 5% I know it was in that ballpark, but that is not what you should be striving for as a school that claims it's diverse. Um that's not it. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Not it. That like
0: something that I was talking to my friend was mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the discussion about numbers and diversity at schools is a really complex one when i was talking to her about it we're talking it in the um in the scope of socioeconomic status of class and like how much money um people are giving how much money people are going to pay and who's going to get financial aid and not and like something that came up for us was Mm -hmm. if our school were dedicated to having a diverse group of people at their school you know Paying, you know, some on financial aid, some not on financial aid, but making sure there was variety in it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if they were like really dedicated to making sure that they were being equitable and inclusive, and in doing that, would need would being need blind, be necessary? Because my thought process is like, oh, well, if you're dedicated to making sure that your school is inclusive and accessible financially to students no matter their background, Mm -hmm. you should set like if you see someone who's from a lower socioeconomic status and like you can see what they can pay, that shouldn't be the thing that stops you from accepting them into your school. Mm -hmm. Because if you actually wanted someone who You know what I mean? Like, if you wanted to make sure that your school was that had that inclusivity, why do you have to have that number hidden in order to be accepting and willing to it to welcome them into your institution?
1: I don't know if it's the same direction you were going in, but a lot of people. I don't want to call it an excuse, but a lot of people say, oh, well, It's hard to bring the numbers up like we can't find people that like fit these demographics to go to our school. There are students. You can find them. I think they probably want to go to your school, but can't afford it. You know what I'm saying? There are many Mm -hmm. obstacles. And the main um, thing is that a lot of these schools build from like a foundation of we want to be a great place to give kids opportunities yeah but then that like vision changes I don't know if your school was like that but mine was I was not there at the beginning it's a fairly like new school I was not there at the beginning but it has changed over time and the vision has just gone Mm -hmm. in a whole different direction because of money no yeah that makes that's
0: totally fair and I think I definitely hear that and I think another part of it also like that happens. Inclusivity and accessibility and being dedicated to having an equitable admissions system and having an equitable space and environment in which people are coming in to learn. missions is the first step, I guess I could say, in some ways. But then it also continues further. In my high school, the only time you would learn about Black history, about his, essentially, non-European, non-white European history is mm-hmm. when it was an elective when you were a junior mm-hmm. or a senior, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be an elective. I mean, the fact that it was an elective, I consider myself very lucky to have been able to take in, to take course courses like that. But the fact that mm-hmm. it was an elective and not part of like the mandatory curriculum, like that's another step beyond admissions where inclusivity mm-hmm. and equity has to step in, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not out here trying to learn about Huckleberry's Finn no I didn't say that correctly I'm not out here trying to learn about Huckleberry Finn's perspective on black history and black Mm -hmm. people and their rights like please teach me about civil rights teach me about teach me about the reconstruction teach Mm -hmm. me about post-civil war America teach me about like you know teach me about American slavery but like don't just tell me what the slave owner felt like oh (laughs) I do like. Oh yeah, the guy who is angry about losing his slaves—he should be the only person we talk to when we're talking about slavery. Like, no,
1: exactly. <laughs> my one of my friends who I did not go to high school with them—they went to a different school. They wrote this uh, research. Um, pro- they did this research project mm-hmm. on how history books do not include a lot of things and how it censors history. And how... Not everyone learns the same things. Yeah. I went to public school um, until high school. High school was my only private school I went to. Um, My sister also went through the same public school system. And in public school, we learned totally different things. And she's like four and a half years older than me.
0: For example,
1: to show how much it changes and how they decide to omit things and put things in. Mm -hmm. My sister learned about the Holocaust, I think, around every year. It was very important in her round of teaching. Yeah, but wow. I never, ever got a in-depth education on the Holocaust. Yeah. And that's something really important that I need to be learning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for sure. I totally hear that. Yeah, and we went to the same schools except for high school. They're the same elementary school, same middle school. And that's where most of that education happened. That says a lot to how flawed... The education system is. I was talking to one of my friends the other day about how we think history should be taught in different ways. Like we're only taught through this like Eurocentric lens, at least what I went through. And like you said, African-American literature should not be an elective only. I think it should be mandatory curriculum.
0: I totally agree. And just to shift gears a little bit, did you read... The hate you like, where are you right now? And the hate you give. Have you read it? Have you watched the movie? Have you looked at the book? Have you do you own the book? Have you ordered it? And it's like coming. <laughs> I haven't done any of that. <laughs> I, I love only you. know
1: some of the movie. Yeah, if, I'm just being honest. I'm no, not gonna no. like it. Oh, I'm like hundred pages no, in. No, it's so yeah, no. <laughs> honesty is what I need. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I have heard a bit about mm-hmm. the movie, um, and I've like seen the trailer, so I know like kind yeah. of the gist of it. No, yeah. Um, That's so
0: valid. No, I just like wanted to bring it up and like kind of pull it into conversation because something that Mm -hmm. first of all, something that I thought was really interesting about the book and the movie was Mm -hmm. and the thing that talked to me the most as a Mm non-black POC who was reading it um, was Mm -hmm. the way they described Star, who's the main character, Star's experience going to this private school in a neighborhood that's far away from her home Um, And there are lots of things that come up. I have a few critiques of the book. Honestly, I was talking about it to Mm -hmm. my friend. (laughs) And I'll tell you this. It's definitely, it's on the easier side of reading, which isn't a problem at all, right? Like, we -hmm. love all sorts of levels of reading. This was a very easy book to read. And the first time I read it, it was because it was assigned as a Mm -hmm. summer reading book. And so it had to be accessible for eighth graders through rising seniors. Um, So it's definitely on the easier side of a text to read but something that I thought was super weird about this that my friend explained to me and she was the person who like gave me the best word to describe it is that it felt like fan fiction it felt really? like someone <laughs> fan fictioned my life <laughs> because they describe so star mm-hmm. goes to this private school in a neighborhood you know that isn't her own and it's predominantly white it's a PWI. and she has a white boyfriend mm-hmm. at the school who calls her "fresh princess" because she likes the fresh prince of Bel Air. Oh. first of all, no one does that. <laughs> no yeah. one, no one has ever <laughs> called anyone "fresh, fresh princess." princess. <laughs> but it felt like a fan fiction of my life because in my high school, mm-hmm. first of all, all of these something that she that you'll see in like the movie and in the book is that obviously what's happening to black people across America, both today and historically, isn't talked about at the school. Her white mm-hmm. classmates and friends aren't aware of mm-hmm. it and they they don't feel the gravity of it. They don't understand anything that's happening. i related to that a lot because having any conversation mm-hmm. sometimes about race at my high school was, it was like seeing red everywhere. It was like seeing blood on the walls, except they were red colorblind. Mm-hmm if that makes any sense they couldn't sense mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and no that makes
1: a lot of sense
0: that makes a lot and of the sense. reason why i say it's a fan fictioned book is because she's dating this white guy
1: mm-hmm.
0: in my whole high school experience first of all hookup culture at private schools is toxic let's just get that out there but i really oh yeah because <laughs> everyone knows yeah that's it. <laughs> cool um, Small school. I really didn't know, like, many people of color, nonetheless, like, black people of color who were in relationships, period. Next step, I didn't know many people of color, mm-hmm. especially women of color, like, black women who were in relationships with white men or non-black men. Mm-hmm. And so this world mm-hmm. that Angie Thomas created, which is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful book and it has an incredible message but Mm -hmm. this world as i was reading it and as my friend used this word is like fan fiction it was like reading my life and Mm -hmm. seeing all this stuff Mm -hmm. it wasn't true it was fictionalized Black students at my high school didn't have to get in a fight with someone over being racist because there Mm -hmm. wasn't even ever the point Mm -hmm. where there would be that confrontation because of how easily and how frequently black and POC voices were silenced. And that's what feels like a fan fiction, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like a fan fiction because all of a sudden there's this world where there's communication between both groups, between white people, between black people, between white people and POC. And at least as I experienced it, there wasn't that communication or there wasn't that relationship Mm -hmm. where that conversation could happen, where that moment of tension where you say to their face that they're being racist or that they're being ignorant can occur. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It happened for a handful of reasons. There wasn't diversity in classes, especially in classes that were ranked or that were not ranked, that were leveled and that were divided divided into you know beginner advanced or intensive and if you looked at the division of those classes as you went up into the intensive or the advanced sections there were much fewer POC and so whether it was based on the actual amount of individuals in these classes or if it were by the content and the actual you know whatever subject in the curriculum that was being discussed We're just constantly and repeatedly erased. And I mean, once you get to that point, once you think about that, there's really no question as to why certain people think they're not good enough and why there's a question like, oh, am I not good enough to be in this class? Am I not good enough for this person?
1: Speaking about the I'm not good enough, like, why aren't I good enough? Um, You're pretty for a black girl. Like, uh, Anyways, before then, I would always have... Like little, I don't know what you would call it crises, crisis mm-hmm. moments where I would get really upset over my hair or anything and be like, wow, this would be a lot easier if I wasn't mm-hmm. black, or more people would like me if I wasn't black because people don't think yeah. I'm pretty, blah, 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 blah. And I even remember one time in sophomore mm-hmm. year, um, I had a crush on this guy. Um, and he was mm-hmm. white, and we like kind of talked a bit. It was nothing serious. We did not date. And one day, <laughs> I was really excited because we talked a lot mm-hmm. that day at school, and I was like, "Oh, maybe he's really starting to like me now." Like, and I went to my friend, yeah. and I told her about it, and she went, "You know, the only reason why he probably talked to you today was because your hair was straightened. It was straightened because homecoming was like the weekend, like two days before, because it was probably like a Monday or whatever." my friends. They're not my friend anymore. They completely screwed me over. I, they're not a good person, but this is when they were my friend Um and they told me that. Should have been a red flag that yeah. they were not a good friend at that point, but it wasn't. Oh. Um so I think that plays into it. it we I admit I was Everyone has been socialized to have these certain beauty standards, and I fell for for a large majority of my life. And I'm like, I'm beautiful. You are beautiful. I love my hair. You are beautiful. Affirmations. (laughs) I haven't straightened my hair in over two years. I love that it's curly. Like whatever, you know. But that goes to say, like we're stuck in the cycle. all, I think all women of color go through this, really. I mean yeah. oh, I'm not pretty enough. I wish I had straight hair. I wish I had lighter skin. I, w- I used to not want to tan at the beach. I would, like, freak out if I got a little bit darker. And now you're like, when we're in Poughkeepsie, like, I, you're, you're like, I
0: wish yeah, I were darker. Like, the <laughs> snow makes me yeah, pale.
1: <laughs> yeah, my makeup doesn't fit during the winter because I get so <laughs> pale.
0: It, it's crazy. Yeah, I remember... One of my friends from high school was in New Orleans. Um, I can't remember why. She must have been visiting for a break or for a college tour or something. Um, and she went mm-hmm. into a tarot card reader. I'm not a tarot card reader, but, you know, like one of those kind of... Uh, how do you describe it? Like a fortune teller, I guess. And mm-hmm. a fortune card, I guess, yeah, a fortune teller, a tarot card reader. And my friend went in and she was asking all these questions and the... Fortune teller slash card reader was giving all of these really complex answers. She's going, "Oh, when the Ooh. when the moon aligns with the left star on the you know, on, like and the hills and <laughs> you know, very like mystical and mysterious, kind of spooky." Um, and she kept giving these like really complicated answers, really really in depth, like one to two minutes each. Um, and then my friend <laughs> asked, she said. Do guys at my school not date me because I'm not white? And the tarot cards reader, her answer, yes, that's it. <laughs> like oh nothing about the moon, nothing about the spirits, nothing uh. about the third eye opening. Like the answer was straight up yes. It was, and I remember her telling this to me, and my jaw like slapped, went mm-hmm. right to the floor. But it's so true. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't even like. There's yeah. she didn't even have to like make up a mystic answer for it. She's like, no, yeah, that's that's why mm-hmm. they do. Like they aren't dating you because you're from Guyana.
1: Like, mm-hmm. just beauty standards are just. I, I can't even get started on beauty standards and how, like every we're all brainwashed. Yeah. We're all, and. It goes into that whole implicit bias Mm. thing. Like, oh, why am I... Why do I think this looks better? Like, why did I think my curly hair wasn't nice for so long? Why did I wish I had straight hair? your curly hair hair is beautiful. Because beauty standards and the media telling me that, oh, straighten it. Yeah, straighten it, straighten it, straighten it. Straight and shiny, like, yeah. Not because I want some guy to talk to me. Like, my friend claimed was the only reason why. That's honestly so... (laughs) Shitty. That's so crap of them. Terrible. It's honestly really rude. That's one of the Yeah, that's one of the worst things that like anyone has said mm-hmm. to me, I think. That's like literally one of the worst. I remember I remember where I was standing in the hallway. I remember everything I'm wow. like, yeah, I remember exactly where it was. And it, it sticks with me to yeah. this day. And that friend never apologized yeah. to me for it. And I was like visibly upset when they yeah. said that. Like never holidays, but as I said, <laughs> no longer friends. We stopped being friends a while after, a little while after that. But the fact that you remembered is
0: honestly not just—it's impressive, but also so disappointing because that's like one instance where someone said something like that, and like imagine mm-hmm. like black and brown girls across America with different hair textures are hearing that, mm-hmm. or not even just America, across the world. Yeah. Um, are hearing things like that and they remember it too right like mm-hmm. you remember exactly where you were standing in a hallway mm-hmm. and it's because they said something that stuck with you mm-hmm. for like the rest of your
1: life as, as at least as of today yeah um and it was so indirect yeah. too like just the way you know he only talked to you because your hair was straight yeah. today That is such a sneaky, like, microaggression. (laughs) You sneaky little (laughs) microaggression. Yeah. If someone would have said that to me today, I would just go off on them. I wish, like, younger me knew that. I talk about that all the time. I'm like, wow, I wish I reacted differently to how people treated Mm -hmm. me in high school. But then also I realized, like, if I never reacted that way, I wouldn't have learned that I need to react. You know, don't let people walk all over you. But the other thing is that, I have gone through this with my hair, and my hair is curly, but it's not like super duper curly, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. I and I, it's even worse for people who wear dreads yeah. or they're braids. And it's just also people are outright like offensive yeah. about it and are like, Ew, you don't wash your hair every day. Your hair is dirty. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> hair care. <laughs> Yeah, I saw this video on YouTube of this uh, curly hair YouTuber. And she did this video reacting to some other YouTuber. I don't know, it's mm-hmm. this guy. And he made a video and he was like, Oh, why don't um, black women wash their hair, and he did all these little like reactions to like pictures of women mm-hmm. with dreads, with braids, and he was like, "You, I know that you don't wash your hair every day. It probably smells bad. Probably not pleasant to touch." And he said something like, "Why do I need to educate you on how to wash your hair? I'll send you the That's letters. ridiculous. I have to this. It's
0: called two <laughs> and, words, honey, and, and the wash.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it like." <laughs> And my, uh, the YouTuber I watch, she did like, uh, like a video and she was like, here I am following this guy's hair care routine since he knows what's best for my <laughs> hair. And it was so funny. She washed it every day. She did a whole bunch of other stuff. And she did it for like a week. And she yeah, like, this nah, isn't this the tea. Isn't my hair. Let me do what I want with my hair. Yeah, you do what you want
0: with yours. like also, who can say that? Because like, there are literally white vegans out there who like have written off soap. There's someone I'm gonna bleep out their name. There's mm. someone who goes to our school. I'm gonna bleep. I'm gonna bleep names out every time I say this. But like, I don't know if you have <laughs> ever met him, but he's super chill. But he's also not a white vegan. Literally stopped using all forms of soap laundry detergent hand soap body wash shampoo conditioner like the only thing that he uses to clean himself is water and it's true but he doesn't he I'm not gonna lie he actually doesn't smell bad because he um I'm pretty sure that for a while because i asked him about it and he said that at the beginning he did smell bad but after a long time Mm -hmm. his body like readjusted and so now he like just does he just like smells neutral like he doesn't have any scent and water is enough to clean him which is crazy it's
1: super dope maybe it works for him he can do whatever he wants not exactly but (laughs) i did judge him a little at first but now i'm like okay I shouldn't do that because it's not my body. It's not my choice to be like, ew. Like, if you don't want to shower, don't shower. Sorry. Yeah, and he does shower. Like, He hops in the
0: shower every day, but he just doesn't use soap. And honestly, like, that guy, like, the video you were just describing, if you, Mm -hmm. like, that was for people who wash their hair, like, once a week. He was, like, getting upset about that. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he met Yeah. (laughs) It would be
1: so funny. probably like, why don't you know how to clean yourself? Why don't I have to tell Like, I don't even know what sparked this YouTube video for this guy to do it, yeah. it was a while ago. But, like, who, what idea, like, wh- how did you come up with that idea? Let me put up a whole bunch of pictures of black women with dreads yeah. and braids and say they look dirty. It was like stock photos, too. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know where the motivation came from, but, like, it was just pure, it was not right. I,
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Just to kind of shift gears a little and take us back to the things that we're going to talk about today in terms of the books, um, I thought that I would kind of take us back to the conversation around curriculum. Curriculum and also, I guess, what can be envisioned as inclusive education and inclusive learning. And so to discuss these topics, or I guess this specific topic, I wanted to bring in the two other texts we have for today. One of them is Albert Camus' The Stranger. And so this book was originally published in French in 1942, Um, and Albert Camus is considered a French writer. He has a really famous book called The Plague, which I think many people have read in high school. And some background information about the context in which this book was written was that Algeria, which is where the plot of the book takes place, was colonized by France until 1962. And this book is about a French Algerian man named Merceau, and the story is completely narrated through him. And long story short, this is totally cutting it short, and I apologize for doing that. But long story short, he kills an Arab Algerian man. And Merceau is then sent to prison. He's put on trial. He's tried. He's found guilty. And he's sentenced to death. Um, and so just something to keep in the back of your mind while you read this is that it was a white, when I say a French Algerian man, it's a white man, Merceau, who killed an Arab Algerian, so a brown or black man, and who was tried for it but the whole time as you're reading the book there isn't really this sense of whether or not he was guilty i remember learning about it and having this sensation when you know we're reading about the book it was often the book was often explained or it was taught with the goals of teaching existentialism you know what is the meaning of life what is the point of doing xyz and i mean the book itself does an amazing job at showing existentialist thought and the idea of one to question why we're here and what, our, what the point of our lives really is, and it does it right from the beginning. He says, Maman died today, or yesterday maybe. I do not know. I got a telegram from the home. Mother deceased. Funeral tomorrow. Faithfully yours. That doesn't mean anything. Maybe it was yesterday. And he even goes on to say, later on in the book, Once we were dressed, she seemed very surprised to see I was wearing a black tie and she asked me if I was in mourning. I told her Maman had died. She wanted to know how long ago. I said, yesterday. She gave a little start, but didn't say anything. I felt like telling her it wasn't my fault, but I stopped myself because I remember that I'd already said that to my boss. It didn't mean anything. And so usually when this book is in curriculum and it's taught in schools, at least in my experience, and I, from what I understand from other people's experience as well, Albert Camus is used, The Stranger is used, I guess I should say, as this piece that embodies existentialist thinking and I guess an existentialist approach to life. And so with this in mind, knowing that I was taught about existentialism, knowing that I learned about this stuff... Ari and I are now going to start to describe and talk about the ways in which curriculum exists in PWIs and how that really impacts the ways someone might feel erased or they might feel left out and not included in what's happening in everyday life it goes beyond history also like i think part of it can be related to philosophies first of all like when your history isn't taught you aren't getting crucial information that's important to navigate the world right mm-hmm. that's the first thing but you're also not re- receiving mm-hmm. this like subconscious message that your life matters or that your history and your people matter
1: mm-hmm.
0: like when the history isn't taught when the literature and the achievements aren't taught that is completely erased from people's minds mm-hmm. and something that I've reflected a lot on, especially with our friend Daniela, who's a religious studies major. Mm -hmm. If you were to talk about ethics, for example, in my school and the school that I went to growing up, they really cared about having this ethics curriculum. And Mm -hmm. I noticed when we went to college that what my high school and what my school, because I went to the same school pre-K through 12, what they defined as an ethics curriculum was Mm -hmm. kind of taught at Vassar under philosophy or pol- or poli-sci mm-hmm. probably, political science. And something that Danielle and I talk about all the time is that when I learned, what I learned in these ethics classes were really amazing because I would talk to another first year who was taking Philosophy 100, and the texts that they were reading in Philosophy 100 were texts that I read as a freshman in high school, because the only ethics, quote unquote, or the only philosophy texts that are really available are college level material. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm like learning these things and it's very important to have learned it. But I realized that we only learn about Western philosophy. You know, we're talking about utilitarianism, we're talking about Kantianism, Mm -hmm. and that's super important to learn, Mm -hmm. right? We live in a Western world, quote unquote, and that's what we need. But um, but honestly, some of the most important things I learned about other philosophies, about other ways of th- thinking, and you are 100% allowed to laugh at me when I say this out loud because you're gonna think it's ridiculous. I learned those philosophies in a meditation and a mindfulness class when I was a senior yeah, as an elective, like, like senior yeah, spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a, in a meditation and mindfulness <laughs> class, which to some people, sounds like BS. And I will say some parts of it were (laughs) BS. Mm -hmm. But as far as I can remember, it was the first class that taught me philosophies and just ethics and ways of thinking that just weren't Mm -hmm. Western, that were different, that varied from it. And it was, you know, with a science teacher who Mm -hmm. taught us yoga once a week as part of the mindfulness thing. And like, if I'd said that to someone, they would probably think I'm crazy. Mm They'd be like, they even think I'm like stupid because what kind of idiot goes to a high school (laughs) where they teach them meditation and mindfulness? Like that was totally not in the canon of things we're supposed to learn. (laughs) But I mean, now it's trendy, but
1: yeah i can say that i never had an opportunity like that in any of my schooling before college so
0: but i only say that because i think it really is like that class was one of the first classes where first of all it wasn't listed under ethics or philosophy but it was the first class that taught an alternate history and an alternate philosophy um and honestly really wow because i'm talking about western philosophy it offered an alternate social contract using that vocabulary, um, it offered an alternate social contract that was never taught when we were learning about, um, when we were reading Mm -hmm. Rousseau and we were thinking about utilitarianism, when we were thinking about um, Lockean philosophy, Mm -hmm. or Lockean logic, I think is what I would probably describe it. And so really it's with that idea of just not, (laughs) Uh uh-oh, can you hear the the police officers outside? But yeah, it's with that idea that I think the Merceau investigation by Kamal Daoud really comes into play as an important text to be reading. Because if you're learning about Western philosophy and Western ideals, that happens through philosophy, yes, through an ethics class. But it also happens in English classes. It happens in history classes. And one of the things that really stood out to me while I was reading The Stranger was that there was no moment where you wondered what the name or you were you thought to think oh what is the name of the man who was murdered by this white guy what is the name of the poor man or, or did he have any family left behind what's happening there and the merceau investigation really fills the gap i think that the stranger left out and it creates within the the world that exists it creates this affectionate and caring and attentive piece that's relevant and that's important and it doesn't forget anybody. It doesn't erase anybody's voice. If anything, it magnifies their voice. It amplifies it so that the people in the back can hear. And so, now considering Kamel Daoud's *The Merceau Investigation*, which is a book that directly parallels um, Albert Camus' *The Stranger*, I personally really liked this book because, in *The Stranger*, even though of course there is an important thing to to say when you talk about existentialism. But when I was reading the book, I just recall constantly wondering about the family of the man, or of the man that Marceau killed. And in Dawood's book, he parallels everything that happened in *The Stranger* almost exactly, but with a much more with much more affection and care than one could ever expect to be given to a man who was murdered, and frankly, to a black man who was murdered or brown or Arab man who was murdered. And so what I thought was really interesting as I was reading this book was just the the ways in which we focus on the language and conceptualization of crime, right? We have this idea of there being a criminal, of there being someone that's hurt. When you see someone die and when a man in America, when a black man in America is killed by the police. and someone all of a sudden goes, oh, well, I l- looked up what that he was a drug dealer, that he was evil, that he was that. Like, in what world do you hear about someone's death and look up reasons to justify it? And I'm going to tell you this. I don't think, I don't care if someone was a drug dealer. I don't care if they did X, Y, or Z. I don't necessarily think the death sentence is the right thing for anyone. I don't think anyone deserves a death sentence. Um, but continuing on that, this book has so much feeling and humanity, and it has the perspective of a man who was marginalized, and of a people really who was marginalized. And so, one of my really big takeaways of reading the Merceau investigation is that the story of the stranger is is facing this existential question, right? Why do we exist? What are we here for? But in many ways, a question that's brought forward by Daoud. And for context, I think this is a question that is frequently asked by people of color, by black people all over the world, by queer people, by colonized countries, by those who are marginalized. The question is, I am here, but why don't you see me? Something that I really admire about specifically The Hate You Give and the Merceau investigation, I mean, less so The Stranger because it was written by a colonizer who's literally playing with the idea Of black and brown death at the hands of white people just you know because he wanted to question life sometimes that's how it feels sometimes when you read it but something that I really do about admire about and Thomas and Daoud is that they're presenting something that's real that happens and the pain that is associated with it right it's it's displaying Erasure, and it's about dealing with erasure. It's also presenting the ways in which trauma impacts us and how we process us and how we move on and how we grow or how you become resilient and change. And obviously not everyone is going to grow in the same way and move on from really hurtful and traumatic events in their life. But to see books like this that acknowledge that there's a real trauma that is experienced by black people, by brown people, by POC in our in our world, in our communities, to acknowledge that trauma and to say that there are ways to, to become resilient and to feel strong and proud about yourself, that is something that is not really said quite often. And I do admire it and I think it should be admired. And I think we should support books like that being shared. There are so many valuable things to be reading right now and to be looking at, and if you're interested in looking at other texts, whether they're music videos, TV shows, movies, books, you can go ahead and check out the Bookends website. We've listed tons of resources, other people's resources, both free um, PDFs for books and also different bookstores that you can take a look at. So that takes us to the end of the episode. If you've been listening all this time, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope to see you back here again soon on bookends.